Welcome to episode 13 of the F1 show for the 2007 Hungarian Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau, and we definitely had a very dramatic re- weekend, this uh, whole weekend, even starting in qualifying. Why don't you tell us about that? After a drama and penalty-filled qualifying session on Saturday, a more subdued race brought Lewis Hamilton the third win of his career. Kimi Raikkonen drove impeccably well, finishing second right behind Hamilton, despite being more than seven-tenths slower in qualifying. Second on the grid, quick Nick Heidfeld held off charging second McLaren of Fernando Alonso and secured another podium for BMW Sauber, collecting six points for third. Robert Kubica showed well in his almost home Grand Prix, adding four points to his championship total, finishing fifth. Not far behind was, believe it or not, Ralph Schumacher, who did quite well for Toyota, finishing sixth and collecting three points for the Japanese powerhouse. Perhaps even more impressive is that his usually faster teammate, Yarno Trulli, could only manage tenth. Another strong performance came from the second youngest driver on the grid, Nico Rosberg, who finished seventh in the Williams Toyota, and Heike Kovalainen managed a point for Renault. But the race results don't tell the whole story here. Jim, what do you make of this soap opera qualifying session? I mean, days are our lives. Eat your heart out. Really? <laughs> We've got um, blame flying every which way. Um, what the story is, um, in the third qualifying session, Fernando Alonso and, uh, and Lewis Hamilton are driving around, and they're both trying to burn off as much fuel as they can, standard procedure for, uh, for Q3. And, but part of, the, uh, part of the strategy is to get out on track where there's not a whole lot of traffic so you can get some good laps in. Um, and in their final stop, this is before they put on the last set of tires and really go balls out for the fastest laps they can do, the, really, you know, the, the final time-setting laps. Um, Fernando Alonso, after they, they put fuel in his car, or they, they didn't put any fuel in his car, they put tires on his car, he was ready to go, they held him 10 seconds and they said, okay, you can go. And then Fernando Alonso actually stayed in his pit stall for an additional 10 seconds before taking off with Lewis Hamilton waiting right behind him, waiting to pull into the one pit bay. Now the key question is, why did he wait those additional 10 seconds? And it really seems like it was revenge uh, for just, I mean, there's, a, there's some teammate rivalry going on there. Of course, they're both really good drivers, and Fernando is the reigning champion, really trying to, to, to push really hard. But uh, the story goes back a little bit further because, according to McLaren, um, they are trying to keep everything as equal as possible between the two drivers. Each one has a very good chance at the world championship. and um, Two points apart going into it. 70 points and 68. I mean, yeah. very tight. I mean, it's a solid car. Both of their cars, uh, specifically have been, have been reliable. And, uh, you know, both drivers have been very good. So they're very close. And McLaren, the team, I think to their credit, has said, we don't have a first and second driver. We're treating these guys equally. The problem with that is that Which they're- Which much to Alonzo's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> upset. Um, and, and the problem with that is that they're, you know, when there's the, uh, the team only has one garage, you know, one time, they can only service one car at a time, and there are just certain advantages to being the last guy out of the pits, you know, to get the, the, just, or the, the first guy out of the pits. The first guy out of the pits at the very end of the, of the, of the last qualifying session, just get the fastest laps. I mean, there's certain timing and things that they can only, they can only get down to the second, and they're just advantages they have to throw one way or another. So, as you can see, this is a real straightforward, uh, thing here. Basically what happens is if you're the first person on the team to be out for the third qualifying session, you have a better chance of getting an extra lap of fuel, which is helpful during the race. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to keep on, keep track of all this. But uh, so apparently it was sort of Alonzo's turn to get the benefit of the doubt, to get the advantage uh, in this race. And, uh, and so he was, he was supposed to pass Hamilton on track 
uh, during Q, the, the second qualifying session, um, and so that he could come in first and he could get out first. And there was a whole strategy they had put together. And over the radio, uh, Ron Dennis, the team leader at McLaren, was telling Lewis Hamilton, hey, you know, you let Alonso go past so he can come in first and get out and get his tires going and everything. Um, and Hamilton didn't listen to that. Hamilton stayed out on track and, you know, came into the pits first. And uh, for the, this is earlier on in the session, and, and, you know, basically setting himself up to get the advantage. So, you know, Alonso figured this out and, and decided, he, you know, he mess with me, I'll mess with him back, you know, and, and stayed in his, and just literally stayed in, in Lewis's way for a ten, 10 additional seconds, which allowed Alonso to set this fast lap um, to, to just barely knock off uh, Lewis Hamilton's best time. And, and he did that by, that extra 10 seconds meant that by the time Lewis Hamilton got his new tires on, and finished his warm-up lap, the checkered flag already flew, and he didn't even get a chance to run another lap. Now, this is further complicated by the fact that, A, we don't know for a fact that that's what Alonso did and why. It's certainly very suspicious, but we don't know that as fact. And second, earlier in qualifying, the third session of qualifying, Alonso had an issue where he was almost in the pits for 45 seconds. They had an issue getting a tire warmer off, um, the right front tire, and that also kind of messed up his qualifying session uh, regiment routine. Yeah, and there were only four cars on track when this was going on in the uh, in the in the you know when when they were holding back Alonso. So it's not like there's a huge argument for it. it was just about traffic. I mean, it seems like they really just have everything timed in that session just down to a T to uh, to really get it going. It's so all about strategy. If you're still with us after all that, bravo! Because. Yeah. It's, well, I'm not even sure we're with it. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we've gotten everything straight and, and, it, and it makes sense for you there. But uh, So the net result is, um, and so at, at the end of qualifying, um, Fernando Alonso had, had you know, taken the pole from Lewis Hamilton, but overnight the stewards sort of reviewed what happened and they looked at the timetables and, and who did what when and decided to dock Fernando Alonso five grid spots. So he had to start sixth instead of first. And so that bumps up, you know, Lewis Hamilton back up to, uh, to, to first for pole. And, uh, you know, puts Nick Heidfeld on, in the BMW on the outside pole, you know, shuffles up the top of uh, the grid there. And, uh, and even more striking was not only did they do that, they docked McLaren from being able to score any constructor championship points on this weekend, regardless of the results. Yeah, which under more close race circumstances, as in, you know, a closer constructor race between McLaren and Ferrari would be a bigger deal. But McLaren has such a good lead, uh, had such a good lead going into this, uh, into this race that, you know that them not scoring points isn't a huge deal. It doesn't it doesn't let Ferrari go past them or anything like that. So um, I don't think that's a huge deal. But uh, it's you know it is it is definitely a big penalty. And, and if things were a lot closer between Ferrari and McLaren, they would be really up in arms about. Although uh, McLaren has appealed the decision, they're trying to get it reversed and trying to you know make the points that they would have scored today count. Um, but that's probably a losing battle, and uh, we'll, have to, we'll just follow that as it, as it progresses. But also, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but that's 15 points that McLaren did not score as a constructor. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, if there's less than a 15-point spread between McLaren and Ferrari, I mean, that, it, could, it could, even though it doesn't look like a big deal now, by the end of the season, depending on what Ferrari can do for performance, it could end up being a big deal. Yeah, right now, McLaren has a 19-point advantage over Ferrari, so... Um, this is even after this after this penalty weekend, so they still have a solid lead. Um, obviously, 19 points can be made up in a race weekend, but 
Um, that would take, you know, Ferrari winning, uh, you know, winning and coming in second. Actually, that'd be only be 18 points. Yeah, almost make so it. So they could, they could almost, uh, almost make it up. And I mean, they've got six races to go. So they definitely could pass them, but it would take really strong performance out of Ferrari and really and a weak poor performance, performance out yeah, of McLaren. Exactly. And speaking of weak performances, Felipe Massa and Ferrari, I didn't even get mentioned in the race report, started 14th and, uh, and ended what, 13th? Ended 13th. Yeah. I mean, he just had a dismal weekend and actually in the, uh, second qualifying session, um, he, the, the pit guys let him go. They said, Hey, go, go ahead. You know, you're You're good to go. And then halfway down the pit lane said, Oh wait, stop. They radioed him. They forgot to fill his car up with fuel. Oops. Of all things of high tech and, you know, as, as strategy driven as formula one is, they forgot to put gas in his car. Yeah. Which I think they did. They, did they call it a hydraulics problem? Yeah. <laughs> no, but okay. So let's, let's sum this up really quick. Hamilton booched. Alonzo. So Alonzo tried to booch Hamilton, and Alonzo got Alonzo got penalized for booching Hamilton, and Hamilton ended up getting the pole. Massa got booched by his own team, not putting fuel in the car. Massa got emotional about it and couldn't put a lap in as a result. And also, just for kicks, both the Renaults were also penalized in qualifying. Um, five grid for blocking various people, this and that. I think Kovalainen blocked. Uh, uh, one of the Williams drivers and Fisichella blocked the Spiker uh, driver of Yamamoto of all people, who you know would have been less far behind in last place than where he was or something. Yeah, I mean, really, no output, no, uh, no, you know, nothing in the outcome of the race really changed when you, you penalize, you know, or impede Sakan Yamamoto there. And also, I mean, it's worth noting that Kimi Raikkonen uh, in his Ferrari, he he looked good in the race, but in qualifying, I mean, he was beaten by Nick Heidfeld. Um, for, for a qualifying spot, so the Ferraris just whether it was a tire issue or quite what the deal was, just really couldn't uh, really couldn't put together a solid performance. Well, the position doesn't even tell the whole story. Uh, you know, Alonso at the end of qualifying had the pole with a 19.674. Uh, Heidfeld was about half a second behind that, and Raikkonen was almost eight tenths behind that Alonso's time. And uh, Hamilton was his time was about a tenth slower mm-hmm. than his teammates. But so if you count Hamilton's time as the pole time, Raikkonen was still seven tenths back. But that performance did not show in the race. He was extremely competitive in the race, which we have gotten to. We are now at the race start. Yes, that was qualifying, <laughs> which brings us to Sunday. Um, and the race start. So and actually, both the Toyotas did really well. I mean, Yarno truly uh, was eighth on the grid. And uh, and Ralph Schumacher was fifth, and Yarno actually lost four spots right at the right at the beginning of the race. So he just had a dismal start and wasn't really able to make anything happen after that. He ended up he ended up tenth, so he made up a couple of spots over the course of the race. So it was a dismal start for him. But Ralph Schumacher, all people held his position. Yeah, Ralph Schumacher, the most passed man in Formula One this year. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting as um, as Fernando Alonso got up to oh, who was it? Uh, Mark Webber. You know, the commentators talk about how Mark Webber is one of the most difficult guys to pass. He's just got so much experience and can really keep someone behind him. And by the time they finished that sentence, he's, he's just passed. Fernando Alonso had just gotten past, just got a really good, uh, you know, really good pass and uh, just has so much straight line speed in that McLaren that he just took him, uh, I think, into turn one. And um, and yet Fernando Alonso could not get past the most passed man in Formula One this year, Ralph Schumacher. So, yeah, Schumacher drove really well today. I mean, he drove like a Schumacher today. Which is extremely rare. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, at the Hungarian ring, I mean, what was interesting, the commentators pointed this out, is that he's not a fan of Monaco, and this is the next tightest track to Monaco, and he, he drove very well here. I mean, he outperformed his teammate quite a bit, and he got some solid points for Toyota. Yeah, definitely. 
And Lewis Hamilton made a really good start, and we were all concerned that Fernando Alonso would just be fuming in the car, and you know, especially uh, you know with um, just a whole controversy with Lewis and, and Fernando. And if, if you know, at the end of Saturday when we thought they were going to start next to each other, that they might just run each other right off the road into turn one, but uh, or that you know Fernando having been penalized five spots would uh, would just be really you know really mad and really just try to try to make it all up in turn one and end up causing a big crash or whatever. But he did a good job to maintain maturity, keep the car under him, and actually just you know drove solidly and made up some some spots. I th- I would have thought he would move you know move up through the field more quickly than he did. But uh, this is a, a hard track to pass on because it's so tight and twisty, and there's not a whole lot of good op- passing opportunities. So he did well to uh, to make up a couple of spots. But in the end, that's all. I mean, he started sixth and ended fourth, so that was just a couple a uh, couple spots that he made up. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, considering considering all that, what happened and the drama that was behind it, and the internal team issues that's going on, I think he did quite well to salvage what he could out of this weekend. I think I give him a. I, I he deserves a lot of credit here. You know, he he drove like a professional, and he did not let everything get to him. And he he managed. He got points out of it. He got five points out of the deal. Unlike. And I've been saying this for a couple of podcasts now, Felipe Massa, who had what I would say is one, yeah, it was a big deal to not fill up the car, but that was one issue. He did have a chance to get a hot lap in. He drove extremely he drove extremely poorly. And he, he drove poorly the rest of the week. He he drove poorly all Sunday. He was pa- Felipe Massa was passed at the very beginning by Takuma Sato. Takuma! <laughs> our very favorite Super Aguri driver, and he could not pass him back. Felipe Massa in the Throughout Ferrari the race. just was held back, just could not get around uh, Takuma Sato, which I think tells you right there, you know, they're having some issues, whether it's driver, whether it's car, or some combination. But uh, I mean, excellent job Takuma for that. But uh, it's it's impressive that you know that he couldn't even pass uh, pass back to Super Aguri in his pit stops or anything. I mean, he ended up behind him, and actually uh, Takuma Sato's fastest lap was one thousandth of a second faster than Felipe Massa's. So he couldn't even you know even with clear track and everything. Uh, couldn't Felipe Massa could not put together a better lap than Takuma Sato in a Super Aguri. And even more to the point, Massa was one of the fastest drivers on Friday. He was fastest driver in the Saturday morning warm-up session. He was he was looking really strong for the early parts of the weekend, and then this one issue in qualifying happened and completely fell apart. I mean, I, this Massa is just, I think, letting his emotions get to him, and he's not he's not keeping his head straight. On these race weekends, and you know, as a result, Kimi Raikkonen edged back ahead of him in the championship by one point, albeit, but still, I mean, a 13th place finish in a Ferrari, I would say that's just about unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, it, it, he was he was lapped, um, you know, midway through the race, and you know, and it's it was crazy seeing his teammate and Lewis just rocket right by him. Uh, you know, Felipe Massa had to slow down and get out of the way because he was lap traffic and he was, you know, back there with the back markers. And I do want to just clarify that uh, I think in a pit stop, Felipe Massa did get around to Kumasato. Uh, Sato finished 15th. Yeah, I could not pass Honda. him on track. I'm yeah. sorry. I was, should have been clear. But uh, but even uh, Takuma's 15th place finish was the highest of all the Honda-powered cars. Uh, <laughs> Rubens Barrichello finished. It was the last of the running cars. He was two laps down um, in 18th spot. Uh, with you know, and then you know, with a retirement on lap 41 by Anthony Davidson, who you know just got a just got into a kind of a high speed crash, it broke his suspension, and he, he was off the road. Jensen Button retired at a halfway through the race at lap 35 with a throttle problem. He just sort of pulled off to the side and uh, was frustrated and got out of his car. So it really was just a tragic weekend for Honda. And Rubens Barrichello, who finished 18th, 
said the car just didn't have anything else in it. That that's all it had. It was just no pace, nothing, no no good grip and whatever. So all of Honda's really hard work and all of Honda's money spent is just not working. It's not a matter of it was just a particular set of circumstances that prevented them from winning or from from doing well. So, uh, victory, I think, is pretty much out of the question at this point. But uh, th- there's just nothing left in that car. Jim, what you're seeing is a typical freshman slump from Honda. They're a brand new team. They're just getting started, and these type of things are going to come up. You know, you you gotta you gotta give them time to build as a team to get some time in the car. You know, I'm I'm just worried about the people that uh, may not uh, be that familiar with Formula One and think we're serious about these things. I mean, this is really come on, Honda. You know how to build Formula One engines. You know how to build race-winning cars. I mean, last year's Hungarian Grand Prix was a weird wet-dry combination, and, and Jensen Button ended up winning it. But uh, it was his first and only win, and it was and, Honda's. And yeah, and it's, it's Honda power. You know, it, the, the cars can be reliable, but they aren't right now. And I mean, just, honestly, pull out the 1961 F1 car. Give it a go. <laughs> I mean, you, 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 you got, got to try something. Yeah. You know, when you're being, when you cannot pass the spiker, and you're a factory team, let alone being creamed by your own satellite team. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's some craziness. Now, so back to the front of the grid. We want to go there. Hamilton, amazing. He drove amazing. Considering all the politics that happened, whether they were his fault or not, that was an amazing drive. I, I completely agree. I mean, if it's, I guess his detractors could say he didn't have to make his way through the field because <laughs> he started, started first, and the way the pit stops and everything worked out, he led every single lap and won. And he drove um, Beautiful. And the up until time. The, the second to last lap, he had the fastest lap. No, ever. the last lap. It was uh, the yeah. very last lap. So uh, I mean, the fastest laps traded back and forth. But on the la- on the last lap, he had the fastest lap. But then, literally the 70th out of 70 lap of the race, Kimi Raikkonen knocked him off by a little over a tenth of a second for the fastest lap of the race. So it was Which, almost the perfect weekend of pole position, leading every lap, winning the race, and having fastest lap. And Kimi just took that little pinch and decided that, you know, there's just a little thing he could take from, uh, from Alonzo. Which from excellently Hamilton. segues into my next point. The only person that drove better than Lewis Hamilton this weekend was Kimi Raikkonen. The Ferrari was obviously not as quick as the McLarens. The McLarens were definitely quicker in qualifying. They showed a lot of performance. And Raikkonen just squeezed every last ounce of Ferrari juice, Ferrari gumption out of that machine. And he was, what, a second behind Alonso at the finish? Seven-tenths of a second, yeah. I mean, he was right there, which was made it for an exciting, you know, a good battle on track. Once the pit stops and everything were sorted out, it was Lewis Hamilton with Kimi Raikkonen all over him from behind, and Lewis held him off. And uh, Hamilton said he did have a steering problem in the car, but he was, he was fighting that a little bit. But his drive from the outside looked brilliant, and it looked like he really did very well. Although I think there are there is more to uh, to the politics here. I mean, you know, Alonso says or uh, Hamilton says, you know, Fernando Alonso hasn't spoken to him. They're like, you know, this the drama continues, I guess, um, where Alonso's not speaking to Hamilton. Um, you know, the the uh, the stewards are you know come down with these penalties and so on. McLaren is is mad just that there are penalties at all. They've sort of tried to backpedal and say, hey, this is our strategy. We've got our system. Don't interfere with our system. And I, I tend to agree with that. I think if the team comes up with a way that they want to run. The, you know, they want to run their qualifying session and they want to set up their drivers. It's, it's tricky because they can't, specific team orders are outlawed. They can't specify that, you know, Lewis Hamilton has to slow down to let Alonso by. They can't specify it in those words, yet there are always ways they can, you know, give, give one of guy together the advantage. Course. So, but it is a little, a little scary that the stewards, the FIA is stepping in to sort of tell McLaren how to run their, their team here, how to run their qualifying session. 
and you know to whom they can give advantage and to whom they can't. I mean, it's a little bit of a tricky situation. I'd almost rather have the FIA be hands-off and let the team work it out, and if it's between the two drivers and within the team, let the team figure that out. If they need to you know, punish their guys internally or whatever... Um, but ultimately, McLaren had first and second grid spots, um, and legitimately before the uh, you know before, before the penalties were given out by setting those times on the track. So regardless of who held up what guy in qualifying, you know that can be sorted out after the race. That can be that can be dealt with internally. But you know it's it is tricky having the FIA step in and sort of decide that this can be done and this can't be done because we've seen definite instances of team orders in the past. You know where it's not specifically a team telling their driver to slow down and let the other guy by, but there are always ways they can you know with with pit stop times and the way they do tire changes and the way they do different things just to you know it, oh it just so happens that uh, that this guy made it by that guy you know that that was uh you know Giancarlo Fisichella definitely had to take a couple of hits for uh, for Alonso to to win his championship. Uh, last year, when you know there were a couple of times, if if Fizzy was leading for any reason, he would have to back off and uh, right, right, and and let Alonso around. So it definitely happens, and it's weird that you know the FIA is starting to step in a bit more and get these penalties and all that. It's it, I I don't really like it. The the FIA thought that what Alonso did was really deliberate, but the fact of the matter is we don't know exactly why Alonso was in the pits. I mean, and I completely agree with you that I think if it's within the team like that, they did not affect or hurt any other team's performance by the way they acted in the qualifying session or in the race, for that matter. And so, yeah, any issues that there are are internal. I mean, okay, if you thought what Alonzo, a driver, did to Hamilton, another driver, was inappropriate, that's one thing. But to dock the constructor points like that, I I completely disagreed with that decision. Whether it's going to have a big effect or not, irregardless, I, I didn't agree with that at all. Now, I guess the FIA is just trying to show their authority here. But, again, to what end? Yeah, and it doesn't. It's it's not a case of McLaren getting a leg up over another team, which shows that the team as as a team is working against the rest of the guys in an unsporting way. This is just one driver against another. So I, I think we're in agreement on that. Um, but you know, there's some interesting quotes coming out of this, though. I mean, Damon Hill was quoted as saying, "You know, Alonso is not a team player. He's showing his ruthless side by by holding up Lewis Hamilton." And that and it makes a good point that if if if, if Alonso's actual goal was just to get out on track at the right point and not have traffic, he could have pulled ahead up in the pit lane, you know, a little farther up in the pit lane, or gone really, really slow on his outlap or something like that. You know, let Lewis get in there, get his tires changed and all that, and have a good battle where Fernando Alonso's putting in his best lap time and Hamilton's putting in his best lap time. They both have equal opportunities to set the same number of laps, and whoever guy, whichever guy is faster gets the pole. I think that's the most fair way to do it. But I ultimately think it's up to the McLaren guys to run it how they want to. Exactly. To that end, if, if that's what they wanted, why didn't McLaren tell Alonzo? Why wasn't Ron Dennis on the radio telling Alonzo, move up a car length, move to the end of the pits, go slow for the first couple of seconds? I mean, McLaren, it's not like McLaren had no control over this situation. No one stopped Alonzo. Technically, we don't know. I mean, Ron Dennis may have been on the radio. But that's exactly my point. We also don't know if Alonzo deliberately stopped and waited in the pits. Was Ron Dennis screaming in, his, screaming in his ear that entire time, telling him to go when he defied, he defied his boss's words? I, I really doubt it. Yeah, and, and Ron Dennis has said that uh, the whole sort of the whole debacle, the holdup, is Hamilton's fault. Um, you know, starting back from, uh, you know, starting back from Hamilton. You know, what we talked about at the top of the show, which I'm so convoluted, I don't even remember what's going on anymore. <laughs> who's, who's supposed to pass whom and who's not, not Who's not supposed to. But Yes, please please re- go back. to the. Re- please hit rewind. Go back. We explained it then. Our, our, our brains are kind of fried from that whole thing. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot going on. But, I mean, there are just a lot of allegations flying. It'll be interesting. We've, we've got three weeks until the next race. So hopefully all this settles down um, and, you know, they the guys kiss and make up or whatever, you know, between, between <laughs> Lewis and Fernando because I think if they're, if they're this – you know, against each other. There, there's some sort of, you know, there's a healthy competition going on, sure. Um, but even before this, they were they were a little tricky um, where they said, okay, we're, we've agreed not to talk about each other in front of the media unless the other one is present and whatever. I mean, these guys aren't friends here, okay? They're teammates, but they're you know, not, not on the best of terms. And But if they're really just, you know, have this anger toward each other, that, that really can't be helpful and productive in testing and in all the, you know, all the preparation that goes on in, in running these cars successfully. Well, and this comes on top of, okay, on top of all of this, there's also the scandal between McLaren and Ferrari that's also in the FIA courts going on right now. And that we hoped would be resolved uh, with the court date, but as is usual with these high-profile cases, uh, the decision came down that, yes, McLaren was in the wrong, but no, they will not be penalized. And of course, Ferrari just starts yelling about that and says, "Oh, how if they're wrong, why aren't they penalized?" And then, and so, and it's being appealed anyway, and the appeals are being appealed. So there's still not really a resolution there, and that that's still hanging over the heads of McLaren right now. And that could have played in a little bit to the penalty this weekend. Is that that whole uh, the whole saga there is about you know some allegedly stolen plans from an engineer at Ferrari taking them to McLaren to give them some infi- insider information. But the whole allegations that the FIA is putting forth is that. It's an unsporting thing to do, that there was some kind of cheating, some kind of you know, untoward activity going on, and that this weekend they got penalized for unsporting activity. It's at least a little bit related. So, uh, well, and in the meantime, I forget the guy's name, Steinway, Steinbeck. Nigel Stepney. Stepney. Stepney is denying the whole thing absolutely, saying, I have not done anything wrong. I didn't give anybody any information I shouldn't have. This is all bogus. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's appeals going on, and who knows how long these are all going to take to get sorted out. And, and again, with McLaren's appeal of the, 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 the suspension of constructor points for this weekend. So hopefully in the next three weeks, things can be settled down. We'll have a much better idea of, you know, will these things be appealed? Will yeah, McLaren can... get penalized even more? I mean, it's potential that the FIA could come out and say that, the drivers won't even score points for this race or something. I think that would be really a crushing blow. I think that yeah, would just be horrible. I, I don't think that'll happen, and I hope it doesn't. But, you know... The FIA has... I mean, their set of rules really... Their, their set of... Their penalties really sort of change from one race to the next. I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll acknowledge a driver did something wrong, like holding someone up and qualifying, and they'll wave their finger at him. And sometimes, like you see this weekend, they'll, they'll penalize a guy a couple of grid spots. Sometimes oh, they'll yeah. take I away mean, one lap. It it's used really to be just, take away a lap time. Now it's five grid it's, penalties. I mean, it really it just dynamic. changes. So it's, it's, I, I don't like as much of the sport as it, as it is, you know, much of the on-track stuff being affected by, by the politics. But I guess that's, that's Formula One. I mean, that's the way this whole system is run. So, like we said, hopefully three weeks from now we can bring a little bit more clarity to this whole situation. But for a breath of fresh air, let's go to a drama and political-free team, BMW Sauber. Nick Heidfeld, Robert Kubica did very well, both of them. Heidfeld got a podium for BMW. Uh, Kubica got uh, fifth place, 10 points for the team. You know, they're they're continuing to be a solid, strong team. They are the best of the rest. And I think a lot of this is they're taking advantage of the times when the top two teams have problems. I mean, Nick Heidfeld started, uh, he started second because Fernando Alonso was pushed back by the penalty and because Felipe Massa was back in 14th because of the whole mix-up with their qualifying. So it's not that he found a whole lot of pace, but there's a whole lot of the, a whole lot of this racing is to be consistent and, and to have finished races. So good for BMW. You know, both their cars finished in the points and that, that's very solid for them. Um, and, you know, there was, I think pretty much because Massa was out of this whole event being, you know, so far back and because Fernando certainly, was, was certainly. penalized. 
But but Nick definitely did well to hold off Fernando for uh, for yeah. you know the closing laps of the race there. Yeah, most everyone unlike unlike the pass on Weber, which was almost effortless, everyone thought that Alonso was going to get around Nick Heidfeld. And Heidfeld had none of it. Yeah, and, and Alonso uh, finished the race 1.7 seconds behind Nick Heidfeld, and uh, but for a while there, in the last probably 15 or 10, 10 or 15 laps, he was really close and, and sort of you know trying to making a couple of attempts at, at getting past him, and Nick held him off. Uh, I think a- after a while, Fernando realized he's not going to make it work, and he doesn't want to crash out of the race and, and give up his you know give up the points he's making, so he backed off a little bit. But you know there was some good battling going on between first and second and third and fourth on track, and those two battles were like 40 seconds apart. Right, and their pit stops were solid, their strategy was solid, and you know Nick Heidfeld lost second place in the first hundred yards of the race. I mean, Keenan Räikkönen got a great launch and was was gone. He was ahead of Nick, and that was the end of it. So you know. Aside from the Raikkonen Ferrari getting past him, he didn't let anybody pass him. The team did very well. And, uh, you know, there it is. And also, again, Ralph Schumacher did really well in the Toyota. But also, Nico Rosberg. Yeah. We didn't mention him yet. A mixed bag for Williams Toyota. Nico Rosberg did very well. He started fifth and uh, ended up sixth. So, uh, uh, or ended up, where did he end up? Seventh, sorry. Ended up seventh, and he actually started yeah, fourth started again fourth. from the whole Alonso. Yeah, uh, situation. That whole mix up. But, uh, you know, very well done for, for Nico Rosberg. But Alex Vertz was uh, a bit of a disappointment. I mean, he started 12th and uh, ended up 14th. So mid pack, you know, you know, near the end of the mid pack. He was fa- passed by uh, Felipe Massa in the, in the closing laps there. And, I mean, just Alex Vertz is, is another guy sort of racing for his job right now. And with I think with the right driver in that car, they can do really well. And I think Nico Rosberg is doing really well for them. I mean, to get him up into the points today was, was quite good and ahead of the Renaults. So, uh, it's, I mean, a mixed bag for Williams, but you know, good to get uh, to get Nico some points there and and you know see some reliability out of both the cars. I mean, no failures because Nico had a string of unreliable uh, races there for a while, and I remember his retirement in the U.S. was really uh, too bad and all that. So, um, good for them to get some points and and keep going. And uh, and then Renault, um, you know, they had a fairly dismal weekend with the penalties and so on that were handed down to them. They really didn't get nearly as much press because of everything that went on with the McLarens, but. Um, you know, Heike to, to make his way back and uh, get a point for them. You know, solid job there. Heike Kovalainen, Giancarlo Fisichella, not doing so well. Looks like he might not be racing for Renault next year. Well, here at the F1 show, we never really liked Fisichella. He's never really done much for us other than complain, and that's been interesting to listen to from time to time. But, like, you know, he's well behind Alonso. You know, now that Heide, uh, Kovalainen's gotten comfortable in the car, he's consistently faster. I, Fisichella is not, he's just not at this level anymore. Yeah, it just I don't know if it was a particular drop off or whatever, but even when he when he was in the Renault, when the Renault was the car to have, when when Fernando Alonso was winning championships, Fizzy was still even, finished. Was never that good. It was mid pack, and he would have he had a, a, remember he would stall on uh, exiting the pits. He had like three times, like three different races, and in '05 uh, and '06 where he'd um, you know during a pit stop he would just stall the car and then have to come out and restart it. I mean, just a driver error kind of thing, and uh, it's too bad, you know. But uh, hopefully they can get one of these younger, hungrier drivers. Into that car, and, and there's talk about Nelson Piquet mm, Jr. I don't know, maybe uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. By exactly, any chance. yeah, there you go. Well, uh, another driver who uh, may be racing for his job is Verts. We mentioned him earlier. There's there's been talk about him. He's he's uh, apparently uh, being scrutinized a bit by Williams, and it's it's hard because he's one of those guys you really want to see to uh, do well. He's good natured. He's positive. He did well as a test driver. He used to put in really, really good laps, and uh, you know a lot of the Friday practices he he topped the time charts. But I guess never quite made the transition that well from from test driver to race driver, and maybe just doesn't have quite the racecraft that uh, these other guys have. But it's in all this uh, complication with McLarens and Ferraris and all this, 
we forgot to mention, Scott Speed, no longer at Toro Rosso. The American driver in Formula One is out. not there. There is no driver he in is Formula out. One. He's gone. And, and did he leave or did he get fired? We don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, speaking of drama, this was huge. Before this race weekend started, this was the news. Yeah. The 19-year-old of Sebastian Vettel, the test driver, the Friday, Friday driver for BMW Sauber, is now the race driver through 2008 yeah, for STR. signed for next year, and now there was this drama with Scott Speed um, you know, after, uh, after the last weekend in Nürburgring where uh, – Scott Speed and the team basically got into this sort of the big argument, and it's um, you know you ask the team, they say Scott Speed was a whiner and he left, and you ask Scott, he said he was pushed out. I mean, it's not clear um, what happened really if uh, if he quit or was fired, but Scott Speed is no longer a Formula One driver, and it's really you know there's no uh, certainly not no future with him at Scuderia Toro Rosso. I mean that seems pretty clear. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Vettel's in there, yeah, for the rest of 07 and for 08, and it'll be interesting to see if Scott Speed can get another drive because they. Uh, the team claims that it was partly because of Scott's performance. And, and partly because of his attitude. Yeah, and I, we think it's pretty much all because of his attitude because he outperformed Vi-Antonio Liuzzi very regularly. Yeah, and not, not only that, every time we saw him on camera, every time we got quotes from him, he seemed like a positive person. He seemed to speak well of the team. He seemed to say, we're trying hard, we're doing well, you know, we're, we're, we're making the most of what we've got. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, he had a terrible attitude and his performance was no good. Well, then Liuzzi should be gone, too. And so, okay, we're Americans. Maybe we're slightly biased here. But I don't, I don't understand where STR is coming from. I don't know what they had against Scott Speed, but I think it was kind of, kind of in the wrong on their part. It's just, I don't know, for lack of a better word, it was just lame. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I would love to see Scott go into another team. I mean, if he can get the, the Williams drive from Alex Wurtz or whatever and do really well, just as a sort of, you know, hey, thanks, thanks a lot, you know, Scuderia Toro Rosso, like, screw you guys, I'm gonna go off and be faster and better, and I, you know, that team was holding me back, you know, but it, it's unfortunate that, you know, that, that may not happen. I mean, he may not have another chance in Formula One, so we hope that he does, or, you know, we have, hope maybe, you know, Marco Andretti or another good American can get up in the series and yeah. represent for us, but, um, and, but also we like Sebastian Vettel as just sort of this, you know, young, raw talent kind of guy who, uh, can come out here and do well, being being so young, and, and you know did well, and when he stepped in for Robert Kubica, I think he'd be an excellent candidate for Nambla sponsorship. The kid looks like he's twelve. <laughs> I mean, he he's nineteen. He's he's he did very well in his one and only race for BMW Sauber at the Indy Grand Prix, which we saw live, and he scored a point there, which was sweet. And he was sixteenth, I think, in this race, which is not a bad result for him starting. Yeah, he you know, started 20th and ended up 16th. So and, he, and he did finish ahead of Liuzzi, although Liuzzi had problems. But there's more, you know, there's talk of three-time kart champion, uh, champ kart champion uh, Sebastian Bourdais, who actually won the Formula 3000 championship a few years back. Um, and like I said, won champ kart three times. There's rumors of him coming into the STR seat in 08. And so Liuzzi might also be out of a drive. And I, I think, you know, a lineup of Sebastian Vettel and Sebastian Bourdais, the uh, multi-Sebastian team, would, would, be sweet. would be much stronger than, you know, Tony Oliuzzi and Scott Speed. I yeah. mean, Bourdais quite good. You know, F1 does not give Champ Car a lot of credit, but I think that's a little bit unfounded. Yeah. And I think Bourdais would do very well, um, you know, compared to Vettel. I mean, he's got a lot of experience, and he's a really good driver. I agree. It's sort of too bad to see a driver as good as, and you know, uh, Consistent as Sebastian Bourdais, that he still has to, you know, going into F1, still has to pretty much step in at the bottom rung, you know, at, uh, at Scuderia Toro Rosso. I mean, I guess they're not really, the, you know, they're not, it's not quite the, uh, the Spiker team, I guess, or the, but 
you know, I wish he could get you know into, right into a, a mid-pack team, at least like a Williams Toyota or Toyota maybe. Um, you know, because I think Sebastian Bourdais has really proven himself time and again in Champ Car and just really been a consistent, really solid driver and yeah, but really mature. Is this or nothing? And yeah. I mean, I would certainly take this if I had nothing as. I mean, okay, fair enough. Newman Haas is not nothing, but you know, in terms of Formula One, if you want to get an F one, if yeah, it's either an F one or not, then yeah. you take what you can get. And speaking of Scott Speed, I uh, to be frank, I don't think he's going to get another race drive. I think his best bet is to be a third driver or a test driver for a team. Um, and I think he would do that well in that role, and maybe he could could land another drive. But to be completely honest with you, I have a feeling he's going back. He's coming back to the states. I bet you see him in a champ car, yeah, an IndyCar sometime soon. Yeah, he might sort of make, soon. make the swap with with uh, with Bourdais, and he, you know we might see him in a champ car, IndyCar, and uh, I think he'd do really well. I I don't know, uh, run against your boy in the Nextel Cup, or I guess the Sprint Cup. It's going to be in 2008. Quick FYI, the Nextel Cup will be the Sprint Cup in 2008. I wondered about that once. Uh, once Sprint bought Nextel, if they were going to change the name yet yeah. again. So yeah, just. Just a quick uh, for your information, but yeah, you know, race your boy AJ Allmendinger in, in the Red Bull cars. Show Red Bull what's up. I yeah, that, that's it. Could make NASCAR. You know, might might be interesting enough that we'd actually. Watch hey, it. I, I, I hear there's a seat open at uh, uh, Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. So <laughs> there oh, yeah. you go. Another story in and of itself. Oh boy. So um, more news, which I think is interesting. Uh, Indianapolis lost its F1 race. For next year, we we talked about that last podcast. However, there is construction at the track at this very moment. Maybe quite not at this very moment, but at this like moment, ten o'clock at night on Sunday. So maybe this, not right at now. this moment ish. Okay, they are rebuilding for a brand new track because there is going to be a MotoGP race in 2008 at the Indianapolis Grand Prix. I've got to imagine this was part of the negotiation because that's that's MotoGP is is still part of the FIA. I'm pretty sure. Um, and uh, and so yes. probably you know Bernie Ecclestone is in there, and he well he's not well he doesn't run the FIA you know with uh, but you know Max Mosley who he does runs the FOM yeah who's you know Bernie Ecclestone just runs Formula One which is sort of you know part of the FIA he runs Formula One management yeah. which owns the rights to Formula One et cetera et cetera et cetera yeah all the crazy business guys behind the scenes pulling the strings there so I imagine part of the negotiation with Indianapolis you know they they probably couldn't come up with the money that the, the Formula One wanted and they were really you know. Still a sour taste in the mouth after that whole Michelin debacle, and what was that? Oh four. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, part of the part of the consolation prize for you don't get to Formula One Grand Prix anymore. But hey, how about MotoGP? And obviously, India is trying to spin it as the greatest thing ever. And the, the, the last time there was a, mo- a motorcycle race at Indianapolis was in like 1904 or something. And there, and it know, was back when Indianapolis was still dirt. Yeah, so, so you know, they're Indy's all excited about it. You know, well, I guess we'll have to see if it's uh, successful for them. Oh or not. well, we're going. We are? Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll be the MotoGP show, and, and uh, that'll be great. I think it's going to be really exciting. I mean, in fact, I think a motorcycle race would be more exciting at Indy than an F1 race, partially because aerodynamics isn't quite as critical. You know, it's it's much more of a power-to-weight issue, and there's a lot more potential for passing. The slow, the slower corners and the faster corners, you know, the the, uh, the bikes need more of a braking distance. They, they enter and exit the corners more slowly. It's going to be more congruent of a track for a motorcycle race, and I think it's going to be really sweet to watch. Why don't we just switch? Why don't we just stop watching F1 and just watch MotoGP all the time then anyway? Like, no, if it's, if it's I, that much better. It's, I'm not saying it's that much better. I'm saying it's that much better for Indy. Fair enough. I, I, I mean, I, I really wish we can, uh, and, and there's still a chance, but that's unlikely, I think, that we can come up with another good ca- uh, candidate for a U.S. Grand Prix. You know what? I think the F1 show should host one. All we need from our uh, viewers is money. You come up with these great ideas. <laughs> lots and oh. lots of money. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Each. 
Yeah. And uh, that would be sweet. And then we'll build the tightest F1 track ever. So, I mean, I guess we, we can go to Canada. We can go to Montreal. And, Dude, uh, we'll and buy Rhode Island, and we'll just build a track there and an airport. Although, I mean, hey, if we can uh, maybe get, get the Formula One cars out to Belle Isle, they have the, uh, the Detroit Grand Prix is running this year with uh, Le Mans cars, uh, American Le Mans series, and Indy cars, which is uh, for the first time they've run on that track in, what, like 10 years or something? Yeah, uh, 2000, uh, 2000 or 2001 was the last time they were at Belle Isle, and that was Champ Car. Yeah. So this will be the first time that Indy cars race there ever. Uh, well, the Indy Racing League is raced there ever, yeah. and it'll be the first time that any race has been there in about seven years. And I will be going to that, so I don't know if we'll be able to bring you any coverage of that or if you uh, Formula One. Or if one, you guys care. If you Formula One guys care about IndyCar. <laughs> Let us or, know. Uh, if you guys want to hear about yeah, it, we'll definitely tell you about uh, it. Because I do have an uh, inside access to one of the ALMS teams uh, into the paddock and so on, so well, uh, hopefully we sweet. can uh, with Highcroft Racing, yeah. So uh, And even more news. Oh, boy. More drama. What do we got? Winkelhawk. In the most exciting spiker drive ever, he's in and out in one race. This guy is just the model of extremes. You know, he's first, last and first and last in, in one in race. In his first race ever. And, and that's his only race. He's in and is, out, just like that. So we don't know. Uh, we, you don't hear a whole lot about Marcus Winkelhock in the American media. But he may find a way, his way into another race seat somewhere. But he is out at, at uh, Spiker, replaced by... Sakuran Yamamoto. Sakuran Yamamoto, the... Uh, Japanese he was driver. a good Japanese driver. He was GP2. He was racing in GP2, and he had money. He was, yeah, he was good in GP2, but really just doesn't seem to have what it takes for Formula One. But ex- we got to give him time. money. We got to give him time. Yeah, we did not write off UJE Day right away. Maybe we should have. Yeah, that, but we did not, and we got to give him. We got to give him at least as much chance as E Day. I mean, so far he's not almost killed anybody. So he's already doing better. <laughs> he's not yet been referred to as the rolling chicane. So right. That's, I mean, he made it four laps. Sakan Yamamoto made it four laps in today's race uh, and then crashed out. So um, good start, I guess. I mean, good four good laps. Good scrap for, you know, yeah. beating the race for part of the time. Started last and... Uh, and way to, way, to, way to get Fisichella hammered with a penalty. <laughs> Maybe he is kind of a rolling chicane. Actually, I take that back. <laughs> All he's done so far is slow down a Renault. Oh, man. And this is also a little slow bit... Slow down the slow Renault of all things, too. Yeah. This is a little bit interesting. Michael Schumacher has officially announced that he will not be attending any more races this season. And it's weird that it's big enough... Because he doesn't want to give out any trophies to the McLarens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that it's, it's big enough news. I mean, he's not in any official role at Ferrari. I mean, if ex-amazing, ridiculous, record-setting driver... I don't know if that's what's on his business card or if he has Ferrari business cards anymore. <laughs> but I would love to see that. That would be pretty sweet. Uh, but he, he basically shows up at these races for no, um, no particular reason. I mean, I guess he's into F1. But What would you say you do here? Exactly. But apparently um, his presence there just caused a bit of unrest between Felipe Massa and Kimi Raikkonen. I mean, he was battling against Kimi uh, you know, last, last couple of years. And, uh, you know, and he was teammates with Felipe Massa last year, so that's not, there's no drama there really, but, um, he doesn't have an official role, but he's out there on the pit wall, so I don't know if he's sort of giving advice or if he should be giving advice. I mean, if, if, you know, if the team is together and running it, they should be giving their drivers the best advice possible, but if they're sort of second guessing themselves and asking, well, Schumacher, what do you think about all this? I could see how that would make the drivers a little uncomfortable and whatever. And he's basically said, you know what? Screw this. If I'm making anybody uncomfortable, that's lame. I'm not even, I mean, he's probably getting paid to be there. Or I don't know what. He's got all the sponsorship. I'm sure he's getting paid. I'm sure he doesn't really care anyway. He's got enough money to do whatever he wants. But he basically says he's just going to go spend some time with his family and not uh, not stir the pot in F1 anymore. And I don't know, maybe if there's all these scandals and political nonsense going on, he just sort of doesn't want to be involved with that or party to that. Or maybe Formula One's gotten a lot less fun for him now that it's all 
Well, if he's not in the car. A little more law and order and yeah, a little less, you know, driving around the track. Yeah, no kidding. You know what? But uh, honestly, look at it from the other side. You've got to give him a lot of credit. I mean, that's a really mature decision to make, to say, look, I'm getting in the way here, so I'm not going to come. i got to think. We joke around, but i got to think realistically. He enjoys being at the events. He enjoys being part of the fanfare and everything else. He enjoys supporting Ferrari. And he's saying, no, I'm not going to come. I want to go, but I'm not. Because if it's if it's hurting the dynamics of the team, that's not what my role is. That's not what I'm trying to do. I, that's impressive. I mean, because he could certainly say, "I'm coming." No one's going to argue with him. Yeah, and there, I mean, there were rumors for a while that uh, you know John Todd being so busy running the business of all the rest of Ferrari that maybe Michael Schumacher would end up taking over, you know, as as F1 program manager, or whatever, and that and if he wants that role. But I'm not sure at this point anyway that he does. I mean, he's. What is he like, thirty-seven or something? Thirty-eight. <laughs> thirty-eight. I mean, yeah, but it's not like he's in the twilight of it. He's obviously done with his F1 career, but um, you know, it's it, you. He, I don't think he's at a point in his life where he wants to run the whole program. I mean, he's sort of got all the money he ever needs, and he sort of had his fun in F1, and to uh, to come back into it and all the stress and drama of it, it's like, you know, I doubt that would happen. So he's just yeah, sort of I, I don't distancing see him himself kind of from it a little bit. Yeah, I really don't. Maybe I could see him in a Gerhard Berger type type of role where he's co-owner of a team or something like that, but. Not managing all the technical aspects. Not that he couldn't do it. I mean, he was always a technically minded guy. I just don't think there's any real passion for him to do that. Yeah. So that's, you know, he's sort of, I don't know if he's really trying to distance himself from it or what, but, uh, you know, physically anyway, he won't be there and, you know, try not to mess up with the rest of the team. And uh, I guess that's, uh, we just won't see much of Shumi anymore. So that's, I guess we're okay with that. I mean, it's a shame. Uh, but at the same time, he's, I'm sure we're going to hear from him again. You know, so here it is, one of our longest podcasts, and the race itself was pretty boring, but there's so much going on. Once it got around. started, there was definitely periods where there's not a whole lot going on, and it got interesting again at the end, but we're still sort of trying to parse out in our heads who did what in qualifying, and who blocked whom, and who was hold, held up by whom, whatever, so uh, hopefully we've. we've I'm been... still trying to figure out what Winklehawk did wrong. Yeah, dude, exactly. So uh, if you have any uh, questions or comments about what uh, whatever went on today in the podcast or, or in the race. disagreements, like Chris Fogel, who, uh, voicing his opinion. And thank you, sir, for doing so. Yeah, you got to keep us in check, you know. And I yeah. appreciate that you uh, listen closely enough to uh, to actually listen to what we say and, uh, and comment on it. Um, send us feedback. You're, you're, you were wrong, but we appreciate it. Oh, come on. All right, oh, okay. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. But I did reply I did reply to your email, and if you want to check it out, please do so. It's on the website. Will you let me give the email address? Oh, yeah. Feedback at F1show.com, or you can just go ahead on the on the blog on the website there on F1show.com and uh, put comments on any of the, any of the stories. So uh, it'll be a while. We'll uh, talk to you guys from in three weeks from now covering the – Whatever the next Grand Prix is, Turkey. Turkey, Turkish. That'll be exciting. And uh, until then, I'm Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Rauner. <laughs>